Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the discussion with, about the defense from that Steelers game with Slava Cooperstein. Slava, how you doing? Doing great, Ken. No complaints. How about yourself? Um, other than those REI gloves, which I'm hoping to get a refund on and turn them into dog toys, um, no, none, none at all. And thank you for the for noting their one year return policy. Um, if you if you if you didn't, one of the most important things discussed in that first episode was clearly the lack of waterproofness on the waterproof gloves that it bought on that very cold day. Um, that it would have been nice to have actual waterproof gloves. Anyway, easily uh, easily top three things you could have learned yes. from that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of other stuff. Seriously, folks, the Ravens pass rush pretty good day. Um, uh, Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Noy having a lot of fun out there. We saw Trenton Simpson running around. We'll talk about him a little more in the second part here. And got to talk about that. We talked a little bit about, you know, some of the business decisions that are clearly being made on the field and and how that really seems reasonable to us. Uh, the Ravens uh, are at present and we are looking at this game right now. We are we are recording this episode at 225. So the game is approaching halftime now, correct, in Nashville? Yeah, it looks like, uh, yeah, like 29 seconds left in the in the first half. The score? Uh, Titans 21, Jags 10. Uh, and Titans are third and 14. Uh, so that'll probably uh, be that for, for, for the half. Okay. So anyway, uh, uh, certainly a situation where uh, the Ravens can hit a very unfortunate exacta if uh, Tennessee beats Jacksonville. The Steelers in the playoffs, and I don't have any problem with that. But the, but the unfortunate thing is that the, um, the Bills – Miami game then if Buffalo loses they'll be the 7 seed after the the wild card round the playoffs are reseeded so the 7 seed if they survive automatically goes to visit the 2 seed so could be Buffalo coming to Baltimore in that divisional round 
if uh, Buffalo loses to Miami tonight. Now, more than likely, it won't end up being that way. Miami will go, and they'll have to play Kansas City. And um, I guess who ends up being the seventh seed? Pittsburgh will go to Buffalo for that game, and yep. and uh, you know it, it'll be somebody else's. Buffalo will be somebody else's problem for at least one more week uh, going through that. Anyway, uh, uh, first thing we do on these is individual discussion of the players, and I think we're going to temper this by saying that some individual discussion is not particularly productive after a game like this, but there's some interesting individual notes for it. So, Slava, start us off. Who'd you like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think the person that jumps out um, for for all of us watching that game would be Trenton Simpson, uh, who had himself a a fine, fine half of football. Um, You know, he... uh, uh, Started the second half uh, first next to Delshawn Phillips, and then Phillips uh, uh, went down. So Patrick Queen uh, went back in, and and uh, you know Simpson really showed you know a lot of explosiveness, a lot of speed. He was one of these players that definitely had something to prove. Um, you know, if he was given the same memo that the other players were given to sort of <laughs> uh, um, you know, play play a little softer, play a little slower. Um, he uh, he ignored it. Uh, he showed you know some explosiveness on an uh, on an unblocked sack where he was fast enough to get past the um, past the right guard and, and really show some um, some ability to, uh, to to really not just get to the quarterback but bring him down clean um, and uh, you know so- showed some sideline to sideline speed in the run game. Um, you know, uh, promising, promising uh, start for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought, uh, you know, he, he moved around the field pretty well. My, my first question is if Patrick Queen's going to be told not to be physical in the way he clearly was yesterday, if he, if he has to play that unphysical game, that lack of much lack of block shedding, um, I'm not sure why he's out there in the first half. If, if, if you've got to take it that easy, just go ahead and put Trent Simpson out there to start. And, you know, take a risk for your special teams unit. And we watched uh, Delshawn Phillips play hard as hell in that game. And, and to see, you know, Simpson come in the second half, I mean, you know, okay. It might not have been pretty. They might have both gotten blocked because Simpson himself got blocked a few times on run sure. plays. Um, but it, it was it, it couldn't have looked a lot worse than it was with Patrick Queen having a lot of trouble shedding blocks in this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder whether the – thought was they wanted to give Patrick Queen some rep. I'm assuming that Patrick Queen had the green dot um, in the, in the beginning. Um, so give him some reps uh, doing that, um, you know, derive some value out of that. But to me, that's kind of marginal value. I'm kind of like grasping at straws. I, I sort of think that it should have been Phillips and Simpson yeah. the entire game. I, I don't see any reason why not. Um, those guys both need the reps. Um, you know, PQ hasn't come off the field pretty much all season. Give him, give him a rest, give him some time off. Um, but you know, it is what it is. But all I can say is that uh, Trent Simpson made the most of his time. The only thing we didn't really get to see is him in coverage. Um, but uh, but he should be an interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, p- component uh, to that um, competition uh, next season for the starting uh, starting alongside Roquan Smith. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think he's right there, and I think he he jumps right in for Patrick. And I, you know, one of the things we talked about in the first episode is just there's a lot of similarity between the two players. They're both very fast. You look at his his blitz for the sack came from off ball, uh, much too quick for that right guard to pick him up. 
uh, even if he had been looking, if he had his eyes in the right place on the on the play. But uh, but he's much too quick, honestly. He probably would have been able to evade him uh, anyway. And it just made for a very nice, clean sack. And we've seen a lot of that from Patrick Queen. That's been one of the things we've really appreciated about him in his four years here, his ability to get to the quarterback. Uh, Simpson being the converted safety, one of the hopes has been that he brings more to the position than Queen did in terms of his coverage thing. So I think it's very astute. You point out that we didn't really get to see that element of his game in this one. Yeah, and actually, I don't, I don't know whether you caught this, but after the game, Patrick Queen said um, that he thinks that Simpson might be faster than him. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. I you know, could could be, you know, being a good guy, gassing up his fellow player. But uh, but but Simpson definitely uh, definitely showed um, some serious explosiveness and, uh, you know, enough to get you excited about um, the prospects going into next season. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very positive on Simpson this game. I, I'll talk about another and he had an off and on game, but he made a couple of plays that I, I want to have this discussion about Tavius Robinson who he's one of the other defenders who's really getting a chance to show something, play some downs he doesn't usually play. And I'm not talking about Jeremiah Moon because I don't think Moon really fits into their plans long term. I'd be very surprised if he has a role other than, you know, a primary practice squad, elevate him as you as you need him kind of player. Tavius Robinson, on the other hand, is a fourth round draft pick. And he's a guy who um, has played a lot of edge in the base defense opposite Harrison this year. Uh, he did not have a particularly great game as a run defender in this one. Um, if you look at, at a lot of the big plays where Ravens got blocked, I mean, I talked about this first episode, I'll risk saying it again, that, that we, we look at um, every run of six or more yards and we, 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 we as, as part of the notes, write down all of the major blocks that were involved and, and how that thing got set up. Well, Tavius Robinson, unfortunately, I've got a few of those notes and, um, Hayward, the tight end. I want to call him Cameron Hayward, but he's not Cameron Hayward. Who's, who's Hayward, the tight end called? What's his name? I, I I don't remember the guy's first name, but I. It's so funny. I literally had that same like Connor. thought. You know, it, it was it was it was very annoying to just. It's like it's like just can't yeah. you guys just have one Hayward like yeah <laughs> or none? Right. Well, you be both better? go by the same name, David. Yeah. Yeah. But C Hayward, the tight end. Um, so if I look at this Q1810 blocked by tight end Hayward as part of Warren RL23. Um, and then he he uh, was blocked by the pulling Hayward as part of Harris RM15, kicked out by the pulling Hayward to lead Harris RM11, and blocked by the pulling Hayward as part of Harris RM8. That's four of their longest plays the entire day, by the way, um, You know, in terms of, of what they did, run or pass, but certainly in terms of what they did on the run. And unfortunately, it's the same play type that they kept running obviously right at Robinson in some of these ways. So I included him in the star treatment, not because of what it was. And I really considered calling it developmental treatment in the, in the, in the article, by the way, I haven't put it out yet, but, but I was really considering using that title instead of star treatment because somebody asked me, why did so-and-so get star treatment? When it, well, it's, it's not, it's not exactly that way. It's, it's star treatment. It doesn't mean I actually thought they got a star. It's looking at all of the notes for those players. Yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, you know, I think a couple weeks ago you mentioned that you were pretty pleased with the floor that uh, Tavius Robinson Mm -hmm. is is showing, Uh, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think he can definitely develop into a a nice player for us in the future. Um, um, You know, there there were some mixed results. Um, You know, he he did blow up a block um, in pursuit of the quarterback uh, near the end of the first quarter. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that did, that did end up into a, a completion, but he did hurry 
that pass. Um, and, um, you know, I think, I think right now, Tavis Robinson is more comfortable like any player would be just dealing with what's in front of him. Um, some of the more complex blocking schemes where things are coming, where, you know, he really has to have that awareness of the entire, you know, what the offense is doing everywhere um, is a little bit maybe beyond him at this stage in his development, um, which is, you know, for, for the most part fine because generally the Ravens aren't asking him to do nearly as much as what he's, what he did this past game. So I think, I think this is a real opportunity for him to, learn and i think that he um you know he's just shown a lot of signs to me that he can he can give us a little bit more in the past rush than we thought maybe coming out um uh, coming out of the draft and could be another uh quality edge setter uh for the for the ravens in the future and part of that outside linebacker um uh, and slash edge rotation um yeah. you know i think i think the future is looking good for him yeah, I, I I think that's the way I go with this. It's interesting. It's also seemed to be uh, he was a Hayward magnet the whole day because there were two other plays where Hayward um, pulled again to get by him on boot plays. And you you mentioned one of them. There's actually two of those. Both of those times, I thought Robinson did a very good job. So I want to call out the good with the bad here. Is he, he the first time he kind of whiffed on Hayward, but he got to the quarterback quickly enough that it had to be thrown two yard completion. Second time, he destroyed Hayward, knocked him backwards, got after, got much closer to Rudolph in that case, still a two-yard completion, still to Hayward on those plays that, that the completion went. Some of that's about who's behind Robinson. He's kind of beyond his control, but he did as well as he could, particularly on that second one of really knocking Hayward backwards. And uh, fortunately, the Ravens had Matabike, who finally got out of the flat and made the tackle on that for a, for a two-yard play. But I thought... I, I, you know, I'm. I think you you nailed it when you said I'm real happy with the floor he's at. He's got just he's established a baseline for himself that I'm really happy with. And and I was the same spot with Tyler Linderbaum last year. Did Tyler Linderbaum have some definitive on field weaknesses? Absolutely. He couldn't. He, he really was having a lot of trouble pass blocking, and there were specific things. But he had done a lot of things like play. You know, the vast majority of snaps and. I mean, Linderbaum he missed some real small number of snaps last year. I want to say it was like two or something, but but he but he, he basically had had played the whole season, and he he um, fixed a lot of the Ravens' snap issues for the most part. Didn't have a whole bunch of bad snaps. I thought that was good. And in terms of what he did as a pass blocker, it wasn't great, but it wasn't so far falling off the table that you said he couldn't improve to be you know an average player at that. In fact. He's gone beyond that. He's been become a good, very good pass blocker, and that's been one of the really biggest developments of 2024. So maybe next year we have something like that from Tavius Robinson. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's really encouraging when um, a late round pick uh, or a mid round pick can um, can become an important part of your rotation and not lose a season um, yeah, for development. Point. You know, he really has gotten some important development this season. And I think he's going to be a pretty big, you know, part of the defense next season. I, I mean, maybe one player you look at and you compare where they are in the developmental curve is David Ajabo. You know, is it right. uh, who's in the better spot? I mean, David Ajabo has got, got two years left as a Raven and Tavius Robinson has three. So you start there, but in terms of what we can really trust David Ajabo to do for the Baltimore Ravens next year is, would you rather have Tavius Robinson or David Ajabo just for next year? I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and the fact is, you know, and, and that's just that speaks volumes, right? Because David Ojabo is like of a certain pedigree and of a certain just innate talent mm-hmm. that um, that you, you know, get excited about when you remember all the things he was able to accomplish. But then in terms of like, who do you realistically think is going to be contributing meaningful snaps to this team next season? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you couldn't go wrong with saying Tavius Robinson. Definitely a, a very, very wide variance player there in Ajabo. And, and, uh, and I think the floor is really the, the, the key with, with uh, Tavius Robinson. He will give this team something next year. Uh, your turn. Yeah. Um, I, w- I'd probably just combine Kyle Van Noy and, um, and David Clowney, um, you know, two veteran players, um, you know, um, really doing a consistent job of setting the edge and, and bringing pressure. Um, they were responsible for most of the pressure throughout the game. Um, you know, Clowney, uh, as I mentioned on uh, part one, had a very Suggs-like strip sack um, uh, of, of Rudolph. Um, and, um, and you know, he, he, you know he, he was playing for some incentives, but even after that, you know, continued to do it. And, and honestly, like, it, it, it almost feels like um, that these are – two veteran players who've been around for a long time. They understand just how rare it is to be in the position that not only that the Ravens are in, but that they're in, you know, at their age that they're contributing meaningful snaps um, to a team that's going to be number one seed in the playoffs. I think they're, you know, cherishing these opportunities while they have them and they appreciate um, being a part of this team. I think that's sort of what you saw. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, reading into things too much, but, um, you know, they seem to be having a good time out there and not, you know, you know, grumbling their way through having to slog through, um, uh, a game that was, you know, downright sloppy and couldn't have been too much fun weather-wise to be in. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, and just watching those guys enjoy themselves on the field, even if they're just celebrating the money and they're, they're doing that. Geno Stone seemed to get into that, that a little bit with, with Clowney in terms of the, the, uh, uh, making it rain kind of dollar sign kind of things. But the, the, I, I, they did love being out there. They were really playing hard. They were enjoying this. And I think you, you nailed it when you say, you know, playing for a contender at this point in their careers, when each of these guys have been in the league for what, eight, nine, 10 years um, uh, is, is something that is a really big deal. And these guys get it. Um, the, the player who's similar on the Ravens, um, you, you, you watched in camp at the end of his career was Terrell Suggs. And the guy just, I mean, everybody else hates camp. I mean, these these two guys in particular, Clowney and Van Noy, are two guys who would do anything to avoid camp. Ted Williams would try and avoid spring training every season by holding out because he thought it was a waste of time. But Suggs loves camp. Oh my God, he just he was so into it. He's like, oh, I ride my golf cart in as Bishotti's golf cart, but he rides, he rides right. into to, to practice. And then the second most senior player who in his last years was Brandon Williams got to ride with him. And so that was a big honor. And, and then Suggs, he speaks anywhere on three fields. And you know exactly what's going on. Immediately, your, your, your head turns. to <laughs> say something. And he's got these one-liners that he'll pull out at any particular time, which just crack you up. But, but the guy just loved being there. And he understood how, how rare and special it was. And, and I think that's why you know, he, got a, he got a chance at the end of his career from Arizona to, to walk away and, and go to Kansas City and get a ring. I forget if he actually did get a ring that year. Did he get a did he get a he ring did, or did he yeah, lose his yeah. role? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Two two time Super Bowl winner, Terrell Suggs. That's right. 
All right. Very good. But uh, all right. Let me pick somebody who I think was pretty good. You know, another guy who had another good week, um, largely stayed out of trouble, Arthur Mollette. Um, but did, did definitely did some positive things. Uh, he lost, I want to say he lost two tackles in this game where he got there first and then the ball got fumbled or or got stripped by a second man. So the first time was on that right sideline ball gets stripped by Phillips. Phillips knocks it loose and then Mollett recovered it. And Mollett, because of that, Mollett actually lost the primary tackle in that play. Now you would much rather have the forced fumble recovery rather and the forced fumble, but it's just a weird dynamic that if, if you're holding the guy up, and then somebody else knocks the knocks the ball loose, and the, the primary tackle automatically shifts. Same thing happens again in the same game, where he's got a hold on. I think it was Warren, and might have been Harris. And Moon like literally stands up from underneath the tackle, and his shoulder dislodges the football. <laughs> and it's, it's honestly a place where a more experienced player probably doesn't even try and get up in that situation because of the the, the injury risk that can accrue from that. But Moon did. He didn't know any better. And, and you know, his, his shoulder hits the ball. The ball's out. I never did see definitive evidence of who recovered that football. But Yeah, the, you know, you know, Mallet, um, I'm not sure whether it's because he's not the, you know, not the starter and he wants to, you know, put some good tape on or whether it's playing his former team. But he was he was flying all over the field. Um, he was he was definitely not a player who was um, taking it easy yesterday. And it, it showed. I mean, you just he flowed to the ball with regularity. Um, he put himself in good position to be that guy when there was, you know, a turnover opportunity to, to really, you know, make a play on the ball. And he did. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a, it was an impressive clean game from him. Um, and, you know, normally when you notice a guy in the secondary, it's not a good thing, but uh, you know, in, in this instance it was. Yeah, Mollett now is stacking them up. Now it's two good games in a row with the game against uh, against Miami and uh, uh, positive uh, uh, look for him heading into the playoffs. And they have some options. Our Darius Washington is is maybe activated, and he may be a guy that they can turn to at slot corner. I don't think they necessarily will. I think they've seen enough now from Arthur Mollett that they pr- they wouldn't necessarily do that. Now, our Darius Washington could still be a very valuable depth piece for the Ravens come for these sure. playoffs. But uh, but I don't think it's automatic. And and Washington, it's been a sad story for him to lose the season after winning the 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 um, slot corner role so cleanly coming out of camp. Yeah, uh, sort of a bit of a snake bitten um, position Career. for the, for the, for the for the Ravens uh, over the past uh, couple seasons with Tavon Young and I mean uh, yeah Tavon Young right? Hey, well, he certainly had been snake bitten in his time with the with yeah. the Ravens, yeah. So for, for, for whatever reason, that slot corner position for a while, but you know, uh, now all of a sudden we've got, we've got some stability in the form of uh, Hamilton with Mullet behind him. And hopefully, uh, hopefully our Darius will be in a position to provide some depth. Yeah. I guess Kyle Fuller also there injured. I mean, he barely was a Raven, but he was yeah. injured there real quickly. So yeah, lots of, lots of things like that. It's interesting because Kyle Fuller was benched twice for Denver the year before he came to the Ravens, and he was benched once for Ronald Darby. And those guys both came and and ended up playing, playing and actually being relied on by the Ravens at various times. So we're just rehabilitating all these, you know, all these players. Uh, you know, send us your send send us your cheap players, or we'll make them Pro Bowl. Yeah, yeah, we'll make them we'll make them better players. That's uh, that's been pretty cool. All right, so I think it's your turn again, right? I can't yeah. What? Um. You know, speaking of, you know, people who, uh, who, you know, p- secondary options that you, um, 
you know, normally don't want to hear too much about Brandon, Brandon Stevens, um, you know, kept his name, uh, you know, kept his name out of the um, announcer's mouths pretty much uh, for, for the majority of the game. Um, don't think he was targeted too much, um, but that's, you know, he, he seemed to be really good in coverage. He had, a, there was a long bomb um, tossed, uh, tossed his way when uh, he was in coverage of uh, Deontay Johnson and uh, he was in just perfect coverage, looked healthy. Uh, one of the most encouraging things from this game. I mean, you you wish that the secondary depth was such, um, you know, that he wouldn't be really playing too many meaningful snaps. But with injuries and other players needing the rest more, he he stepped in there, got out healthy, and looked pretty good. So according to PFF, that was the only time he was targeted the entire game, which is remarkable. But we remember Givens did not um, – Givens is not the right game. Pickens. Did, did not have any targets uh, to speak of in this game. He went, he ran one jet sweep, I think, and and they were they yep. kept complaining about it pretty much the whole time. Um, I, that's that really it's it, part of this is weather, but part of it is Brandon Stevens has become a more imposing figure than he was earlier in the season when he was the most targeted quarterback in all of football. Yeah, I mean he's just continuing to play at a very high level, and and I, you know he was certainly the best corner on the field yesterday. Um, and uh, I think not only the results, but the targets um, sort of reflect that. All right. All right. One guy I want to talk about, make sure we talk about uh, here is Michael Pierce. And obviously there's multiple reasons for that. But Michael Pierce has had a terrific season. I mean, he really has in terms of, of what he brings at that nose tackle position. He's provided a lot more pressure than he has in the past. Uh, he, he's been paired up on a fair amount of plays with um, Matabike. And I think that they've been very complimentary with each other. I did a little bit of complaining about not going to much thirty-two dime, but if you're gonna if you're gonna have those two guys on the field, they they have proven to be a pretty useful pass rush pair um, to have on uh, uh, and 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 complement each other with stunts a lot of times. Um, and it, it's surprising, but. Uh, it does not have to be Pierce, who is the underneath guy. Pierce also is is a fine with a big belly roll to 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 stunt over another player, and that of course creates all kinds of blocking that has to be then reassigned and exchanged. That often benefits the underneath player, so the picking player will often get a big opportunity out of that. But anyway, I thought he's he's just done a terrific job for for the Ravens this year. In that, we saw what he did against Arizona in terms of taking that game over with a couple of big fourth and one plays. Um, The Ravens re-signing him for two years, extending him, was probably the best news of Saturday for me. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, he's had a phenomenal year. He's continued to um, prove to be a reliable, dependable player. Um, And, you know, to go from Travis Jones being your only – um, you know, uh, piece on the defensive line signed in, into next year um, to having, you know, Broderick Washington, Michael Pierce um, signed as well. Uh, you know, I think I think that's a really really good place um, for the Ravens to be going into the offseason, regardless of what ends up happening with Matabike. And also, just let's appreciate a couple things. Number one, how well Michael Pierce is playing. Um, uh, you know, this late into his career. I mean, I do I do have a you know, my thought on that is, um, is uh, you know, between the COVID year and tearing his bicep last year, those were two years where he didn't accumulate a, a ton of massive tread. Tread, right? Um, yeah. yeah, and 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 so um, uh, I think I think that 
um, certainly helps in that regard. But age is still what it is, and he's he's doing a great job. And and also just to appreciate how uh, amazing it is to have not one, not two, but three defensive linemen who can give you something both in the run game and the pass game. Yeah, uh, that is definitely a very big thing. And, and Travis Jones has proved to be that guy this year. But to, to, going back to Pierce for a second, the other thing I found amazing about him, he, the guy just turned 31 years old. And he's been a big part of Ravens defenses in the past, but really always as an as a two-down nose, never as anything more than that. This is the first year he's ever been more than that. And all of a sudden, he comes in here at age 30, turning 31 in November, and sets a career high in snaps by 46. It's 640 snaps this year. 594 in 2017 was his previous high. Um, you know, he was one hell of a run defender if you go back to then, but he hasn't lost a, a ton as a run defender. I think he's still outstanding in that regard. He gets some great push um, that is more than I think he's he's really ever had in his career before. And I didn't see his years at Minnesota, his year at Minnesota. Um, but Minnesota certainly got the short end of the stick, signing him for three years and getting a total of 251 snaps out of them. He's uh, He's been a Raven. He's been a great Raven. And uh, uh, I don't know what it'll take, but I, I almost think if he played two more years in Baltimore, we, he, he would probably eclipse a player like Kelly Gregg in terms of how we thought about him. That'd have to be kind of two more years like this mm-hmm. one. But if he were to do that, you know, Kelly Gregg is just sitting just outside the ring of honor right now. What it would take for Kelly Gregg to make the ring of honor is for the Ravens to have about a six-year really bad run. Then they're, they're having to dip into their past to find the players that they need to in, include in the ring of honor, um, you know, either either in those years or in the years that followed. And I think he, he, he could very well make it. Um, I, I don't foresee that happening, by the way, but, but, but I think it, it, it could. And they've got other lesser lights in the in the uh, uh, ring of honor right now, obviously everybody points to Ernest Biner, but even not Ernest Biner. When you talk about players like Michael McCrary, who just didn't play for that long for the team, they did play, right. you know, contribute to a great defense, but so did Kelly Craig, certifiably in terms of the the units he played for. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Michael Pierce has one or two signature games, particularly one in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where he where he comes up with a massive play, or 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 a you know a series of uh, stops um to to end drives you know uh, i could i could definitely see him becoming a ring of honor player um just it's just such a great story seeing guys like him and mcphee you know you know leave you know get some money and then and then come back because they really appreciate you know what what they do here Yeah. yeah 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 uh okay so i i called michael pierce it's your turn again uh let's see who we got here just take quick look at my notes um i you know i didn't i mean i guess you know i might just comment on some of these players who um you know i i, I guess i'd talk about you um mm-hmm. um you know just as a sort of the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials to participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling that's it it's that easy it's time to rethink recycling with renew particular valued resources may vary by geography more info available at heftyrenew.com
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. interesting uh, discussion here. Um, you know, you've seen, of course, um, some combination of him and Williams, but I think it was he's seen responsibility primarily um, to, to cover uh, Johnson on that 71-yard uh, touchdown. Um, that sort of was the deciding score. Um, you know, I, I don't know that we necessarily learned anything from this game uh, as, as far as Yassine goes. I mean, I, I think that he was pretty steady in run support on a number of plays. Um, didn't didn't look to be like you know, you know, dogging in or anything like that necessarily. Um, there's certainly not as much as Williams or some of the other players. Um, and uh, but I, but I was curious whether you thought um, he was a concern uh, for you as a, as a rotational player. Um, you know, as as we go into the playoffs and may need to call on him for some snaps. I, I don't really consider him a rotational player. I mean, he's, he, he's a, he's a emergency depth piece, but I don't sure. think he's going to be part of the starting group on the outside. We have Stevens back. Presumably they'll have Marlon Humphrey back. who's another player we haven't mentioned as being missing from this game, but you know, presumably he'll be back for the playoffs and then they'll have hopefully Hamilton in the slot. That is an incredibly imposing wow. front to any set of defenders. I, I was actually, a, I guess I say I'm a little disappointed in Williams on that particular play, not being where I kind of hoped he would have been to, to, to take away the back end. But I, then on the other hand, part of me says they threw the ball short all game. They were obviously, you know, dinking and dunking the whole game. This is the one time, you know, they get the, they get the ball over the safety's head. It's just, we've been through so many football games this year where the safeties basically, have been like the Lord of the Nazgul back there, yep. you know, two of them, and and no quarterback has been willing to throw into that. Um, I say so I, I I'm 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 more happy. I, I'm I'm probably a little more frustrated with what happened to Williams on that play that he that he, he did not um, continue to take away Johnson on the deep route. I agree, and 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 I I, I guess I also wonder. I mean. Um, Tyreek Hill touchdown. Um, I think Williams was a little out of position on that one too. Um, if I, if I recall co- correctly, he should have, he should have, maybe not so much out of position, but it like more so he should have been cheating to Tyreek Hill's side of the field because he was really the only deep threat that, you, you know, you could have been concerned about. Um, so, you know, hopefully um, there's a little bit of teach tape uh, in there just to sort of just be like, Hey, you know, we know you can do better, um, kind of, um, kind of work on that. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately whether this, this is almost evolved into a conversation about Marcus Williams, but, uh, but 
Marcus Williams or Yassine. I, I think it was more so the circumstances of the game than yeah. having a concern about either of those guys. Yeah, Marcus Williams, by the way, um, nearly had a interception that it looked to me like he would have had a pretty clean field to run on. Um, the, the wide receivers were all either you know towards the sideline or way back. I don't know how much effort they were going to immediately be able to turn on, yeah. but Williams was moving in the right direction to potentially have to beat maybe a running back and you know a bunch of offensive linemen other than that to to score uh really unfortunately he dropped that football but uh but but uh, you know the fact that you get in position to sure. deflect the football like that is also a, a positive thing i think people even think back to ed reed and think ed reed caught every single ball that was ever thrown his way far from it ed reed was just in, in position to have an uh, unbelievable number of balls drop in his general vicinity because of how spectacularly gifted and 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 how he could get in the mind of the opposing quarterback just unreal. I mean, it's hard to explain to people who weren't there how, you know, if a game started to get away, you could almost, I mean, you, you almost felt like, I mean, I guess it's time for Ed to come in and, you know, you know, pick it off for us and, and, and have a reasonable expectation that it would happen because he was that good. Yeah. They, they'd send him back and he was kind of a designated fair catcher on punts. This is one of the Ed Reed stories I kind of love. But there's two plays where, where uh, it, it, he, he, he really came back. The first was in the 2007 opener at Cincinnati. He returned a punt to put the Ravens up 2019 in a game that they had. They might have lost to 2019, but he put, he put them up. And I think, I think he did put them up 2019 in a game they had no business being in against the Bengals, who pretty badly outplayed them. In, in the game, but uh, uh, it was just, you know, Ed Reed now is a punt returner for, for a touchdown. And then there was another one where they really had him in there to get a fair catch in at Minnesota on a game that was ultimately lost on a Hauschka missed field goal in 2009. And that game, the, 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 the punt went up, Reed actually muffed it for the only time I can ever remember him, you know, muffing a mm-hmm. punt, picked it right up on the ground and then ran with it and for about nine yards or something to, to, to pick up some yardage. And the Ravens were immediately, you know, in field goal range. And, and, uh, and actually they needed a touchdown at that point. And they, they scored that and uh, uh, before the game got away from them. So anyway, as, as uh, read the, read the punt returner, read the anything was fun to watch on a football team. When there's any chance Ed Reed could get the ball, it was fun. Just an unreal player not likely to see one like him again. All right. We've got a couple of mailbag questions. How about we jumped into those here real quickly. And we got some of the, the old guard delivering again for us, but um, okay. Captain Grigson's hair. That's at S Stewie Leon at Stewie Leon uh, says, assuming you will hit on these in the discussion, but if you don't one, how concerned are you about run defense versus a team that can pass well out of heavy formations, um, such as the, the Bills and the Dolphins, but not the Steelers? Legitimate question. Um, well, I'm not I'm not that concerned about I'm really more concerned when it comes to the Bills, I'm really more concerned about the um, problems that Josh Allen presents to a defense running the ball. Um, um, you know, I, 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 you know, Gabe Davis is having a better season, you know, to, to my eye than he's had in the past, but it's still mostly Stefan Diggs and not a whole lot else. Um, and uh, we kind of saw how that plays out against, um, against the uh, uh, Dolphins last week. Uh, you know, Dolphins were, 
down, you know, down Jalen Waddle. So they, you know, it was pretty much Tyreek Hill and then just a bunch of guys. Um, and I think we handled that um, pretty well. But imagine Tua being able to, you know, run over DBs and some linebackers. Um, you know, and, and that's that's not a whole lot, fun, a lot of fun. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree on the on the notion that the quarterback himself has to present a problem for it to be more of a more of an issue there. So I think he's identified a couple of good ones in terms of the bills and the dolphins, because the bills use extra tight ends. Um, the dolphins, I think, you know, when, when I talked about this with Josh Reed, um, uh, it was the last week, you know, we talked about who represents the biggest challenge for this Ravens team going forward in the, in the AFC playoffs, not, not, you know, a lot of people would say it's San Francisco again. I probably agree with them, but who represents the biggest challenge in terms of an offense in the AFC? I think it actually could still be a healthy Miami that if they have their act together, um, you know, I'm certainly rooting for them to beat the bills and knock the bills entirely out. But, uh, but that's because one of the two of them is gone, but I think a healthy Miami with Mostert Waddle, um, uh, Tyree Kill still and Achan uh, would be, you know, potentially exactly the kind of kryptonite that this Ravens team would not want to face. So it's uh, it's it's a you know it's as as well as as easily as they took care of Miami in that game, um, and as bad as Miami's offensive line looked, I still would be concerned about facing them again in the playoffs. So I, I think that uh, uh, the Dolphins. They, they they play some heavy. They play they play a lot of light formations too, and I think they'd be uh, uh, they could potentially be very effective. And when I say light, could be some pony with with two fast wide receivers. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I agree. You know, those guys they they have a bunch of home run hitters, um, and uh, they can yeah a team like that that can score at any time. I mean, they the, the the nice thing is is that even with that full complement of weapons, they haven't really gotten it done against winning football teams, um, whether that's mental mistakes, whether that's, um, you know, their, their defense not stepping up or Tua being a little bit too statuesque. Um, there are a lot of guys on that, uh, on that offense who can make plays. And if they're, you know, at a hundred percent next time we see them, if we see them again, um, it will definitely be a, a, a tough battle. All right. At Stewie Leone had a second question, which was rank the divisional opponents from most to least desirable. So let's 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 put both Miami and Buffalo in there together. Um, we'll put Jacksonville. Actually, it becomes very difficult if it's anybody but Jacksonville. So just put Jacksonville. I'm sure that if it's the Texans, it's going to be the lowest of the division opponents anyway. And then Kansas City. So Jacksonville, Kansas City, Miami, Buffalo. How would you rank them in terms of the the amount of fear you have of them? Well, there's also Cleveland. These are the, just the divisional opponents. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he means that. Maybe he means the AFC North, but I thought he meant the division leaders. Oh, I, huh. I, I assumed he just meant rank them all. A- AFC p- potential AFC opponents. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to put my list together while while you're while you're thinking your way through it. So we have Cleveland. We have um, Houston is in right now. We have the potential of Jacksonville. We have Kansas City. We have Miami. We have Buffalo. Um, and who else am I missing? Uh, and then Steelers are another possibility. Pittsburgh. There's, there's I, I guess. I guess Steelers are. Yeah, are the. Um, it's Pitt or Jacks. Yeah. Pitt or Jacks or Buffalo. Uh, two of those three will make it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so let's let's talk about that. So uh, let's rank those seven teams from one to seven in, in terms of danger. I'm going to go ahead and do it, and we'll let you take the floor here. 
So we're take, we're saying most dangerous first. Uh, yeah, sure. Most dangerous first. But, okay, most dangerous first. I think is Miami, assuming health. Okay, and I, um, I probably for I, all the reasons that we just discussed. And I think that's reasonable. I, I I would probably say I would put Buffalo in the number one spot ahead of Miami, um, because I think the, the question there was about offense. Miami does not present much otherwise uh, to it to a um, to the to the Ravens offense to try and stop them. But that's I would have them just a different order one two. Uh, I'm assuming you have Buffalo number two, or maybe you don't. Yeah, I mean, I it's either Buffalo or Cleveland uh, to, are, are at two and three for me. Um, you know, I gotta believe that. Joe Flacco is gonna. He he just throws so many interceptable balls, you know, and 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 hasn't played too many defenses that have um, taken the oppor- opportunities he's given them. Uh, but that defense is just so ferocious, um, and and obviously Flacco has, um, I think, more playoff experience than maybe not recent playoff experience, but more playoff experience than any other quarterback. Um, here except you know you know maybe Mahomes is caught up to him in terms of games but um but yeah those those, those would be my solidly my top three yeah Mahomes only played 11 postseason games has, hasn't Flacco played more than that I'm thinking he I, has but maybe has not. to have yeah yeah um okay so uh I I have Kansas City at number three so you you have you have Cleveland in there obviously somewhere but I have, I have Kansas City at three I still think that the combination of Mahomes and their pass rush is going to be a challenge for the Ravens. I I, don't, I, I, I would agree. I think that they're that Miami and and uh, Buffalo are both bigger challenges, which is incredible that we're saying this. I think particularly about Miami, but but I think Kansas City still I fear in Mahomes enough and their pass rush enough that they're the third one. And and the 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 reason that I probably put Cleveland above Kansas City is that I think that Cleveland's. Um, Offensive personnel actually matches up better against the Ravens yeah. than Kansas City's does. Um, you know, we, we saw how difficult it was for the secondary to bring down Ninjoku and um, and uh, Ford when he got into the second level. Um, there's also just that familiarity aspect uh, that's a little annoying, and and I, I find that the Ravens do well against teams who have not who they don't see multiple times in it in in a season, whether it's divisional rival or um see them again in the playoffs i you know i think this version of kansas city will be surprised at the explosiveness of the ravens offense regardless of having seen it on film it's 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 one thing to see it on film it's another thing to see it in person i think we catch them off guard a little bit but yeah i mean it sounds like you and i basically have the same top four is pretty clear which is some combination of miami buffalo cleveland and kansas city yeah yeah those are that's the, the those would be the top four after that um, uh, my number five team is Houston. Agreed. I think with CJ Stroud, I, I really did not want to see him again at all in the playoffs. Now it looks like they might win the South, so they'll play at home versus Cleveland. And now I'm not, I, I'm not that I, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I'd yeah. love for CJ Stroud to knock out the Browns because I think the Browns really might bring be bringing the kryptonite the Ravens would have a hard time with. Yeah, and you know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, I kind of look at Houston the way that I look at the. Colts coming in uh, to play the Ravens in, in 2012, you know, um, you know, a, a, a phenom at, at, at quarterback, but 
playoffs is a different animal. Um, even though, though he played a pretty solid game against us, we were not, the, we're, we definitely were not the team that we were then. Um, uh, we've, we've come a long way since then. I think we would have a good game plan and throw some things at him that he hasn't seen, but he's spectacular. CJ Stroud is spectacular and the future looks bright, uh, in Houston. And, um, and yeah. Where do you have Jacksonville and Pittsburgh ranked? Who's your six and seven there? So it's a little hard um, for me. I think, you know, if Jacksonville is healthy, I might pick Jacksonville. Uh, But, you know, then again, Pittsburgh, I mean, it's just, they have this familiarity. The defense knows how to play Lamar. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to put Pittsburgh above Jacksonville. I'm talking myself into it. I don't have a problem with that order at all. So uh, uh, we're good. Anyway, appreciate the question. Thank you, uh, Stewie Leone. We'll move on. And we had one more at least out here. Let's see. We have Angelove85. That's at Nikki622A. She always has good ones. But uh, here it is. Looking at the film, did you notice a lot of brother-in-law play, as you often describe it? Was there more vanilla play calling? Also, how big is Pierce resigning, and do you expect the other moves? Uh, do you expect any other moves? That's important. Finally, with Simpson breakout, is Queen gone? Boy, lots of questions there. Um, but wh- why don't you take any one of those that you'd like, and then I'll take one. Yeah, so I, I'll sort of combine brother-in-law play and and vanilla play calling. I, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as brother-in-law play, more so just. Um, but but practically speaking, it has the same effect. Just sort of not, um, just sort of being careful to um, not not uh, get yourself injured or get or get into piles uh, so much. Just being smart, um, um, and, uh, and 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 it's a little bit different than. <laughs> it, it's just a little bit different than like the two teams having a mutual understanding. One team is playing hard because they want to get into the playoffs and, and we're just trying to get out safe. So th- there's definitely, I think, I think a, they, they, a lot of the players took their foot off the gas on that. Right. Anything to add to that, Ken? No, I think we, we hit on the vanilla stuff. It was basically all the, the standard nickel and, and base. So you, we got that in terms of the brother-in-law play. I think you, you said it well in terms of, uh, you know, you, you probably had some people who were specifically told, take it easy on the pile. And uh, and uh, Patrick Queen in the middle of that defense um, is is probably shouldn't have been one of those players, but it, but it really seemed like he kind of was, which tells me they should have just played Simpson the whole game. So uh, yeah. uh, if we're going to transition to the next question, that is is Queen gone? I I don't think it has anything to do with Trenton Simpson being here. I think it's it's fully a case of the Ravens can't afford to spit, pay a second inside linebacker. So. Queen will go. Um, we thank him for his service and wish him well in future adve- uh, 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 endeavors that do not involve the AFC. And uh, uh, hopefully he'll he'll go and play well for Carolina or you know some other team that really wants to sign him to a big contract. Thanks for the comp, Beck PQ. Yeah. Much much appreciated. Um, in the case of uh, and, and I mean no disrespect by that uh, by the way, there's, there's, he's he's going to go somewhere. He's going to probably get paid. It, the fact that he might get paid by a team like Carolina is just a function of that's the type of team that is more likely to be a, give a really big contract to an inside linebacker is some team that needs leadership like that and, and might not have it. Um, but anyway, he, he could end up in a, in, a, in a lot of places, but, but Carolina being an NFC team would be a, would be a nice spot for, for him from my perspective, the Pierce Definitely. signing. Yeah. <laughs> the Pierce signing, you know, obviously made our day as we, we talked about a little earlier. Uh, the next guy I want them to, to have on the agenda is Brandon Stevens. He's he's ending his third year here. 
Um, it'll be after the season is the very first first opportunity to sign him to a long deal. So this is important. They really they could be talking about it now, but they can't be signing anything until after the season is over. So um, that will come. I, I don't know whether they have to wait till March this year. They just have to wait to be for the playoffs to be over to resign a player like Simpson. I believe they only have to wait for the third season for the third season to be done, which would mean after whenever they're eliminated to to go ahead and sign him. Yeah, I think Stevens is a priority resign. Um, he gives a stability at the corner position. Um, you know, we really thought that cornerback was going to be a real problem. It was going to be, you know, you know, Marlon Humphrey and some scrub was going to be, was going to be playing and just have a bunch of, you know, a um, bunch of scrubs, but uh, you know, Stevens has really uh, turned it on and uh, proven that he can be a starting corner in this league. Um, so I think, I think he's a priority reassign. And then the other thing, you know, that has been discussed numerous times is, um, um, you know, how we're going to approach Matabike. I think, I, I think the tag is in his future, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because with his level of play, with what the market is re- like w- for D linemen, um, he, you know, the tag amount is not an outrageous, you know, amount right. for his services. Uh, but ideally, the tag is going to either lead to a long term extension or um, a tag and trade. trade scenario that will allow us to um, pick up some considerable uh, trade capital that we could then go use on something like uh, a left tackle um, and which is really, you know, barring some precipitous drop um, uh, on draft day uh, would, would probably be one of the only ways that we could pick up a, you know, day one left tackle. Yeah. I think, I, you know, there, there are supposed to be about six of them that go in the first round. Once you, once you're at that point, there may be some stretches. There may be some guys who really should be drafted number 42 and are, and are, are going in the first round because they are left tackles. And then that's a big um, give up of BPA for need. Those things always contri- always compete. But I, I'm, I'm like you. I would rather see they, they do something with Matabike. And it's one of the hardest pills to swallow to let a great player. It's just, you know, I've never seen anything negative written about Justin Matabike in terms of what kind of teammate he is or what kind of person he is. I mean, it just seems every single thing you hear is positive. Yet this is the the... the struggle that great organizations find themselves in is they have to constantly making heartbreaking decisions about their star young talent. Absolutely. All right. One more question. Alec Pulianis, great friend of the show, been on the show a number of times and he has the pod one winning pod. I want you to try and give that, that a chance sometimes see if it's, it's to your liking. Um, but Alec is on there with a couple of his friends. And I think, uh, you know, he's an interesting guy that is uh, uh, some real thoughtful analysis of the game. But he says, how bad must Salah be to not get a snap in that stop uh, stop fest of back? Oh, sorry, slop fest of backups. Yeah, I mean, it certainly doesn't speak well of him. I mean, they they probably did like, you know, 15 different iterations of the offensive line. And Salah wasn't involved in any of them. Um, you know, you'd, you'd hope that you know maybe he's dinged up or something. Not not that you're ever hoping anybody's injured, but you're hoping that that's the reason rather than just them not feeling comfortable with him being out there. I mean, he had been out there um, in in prior weeks, um, so I'm not really sure. You know what the what, what the thought process there was. I mean, like, you know, Ben Cleveland got a you know extended look for the entirety of the game. Um, so you'd think that Sala would probably come in there um, 
Uh, do you recall whether yeah, I'm sure can you do that? Uh, whether yeah. Sala where where on the offensive line Sala played these past few weeks? Uh, I mean, he's most recently he's played at left guard, but he's he has not played a single snap on the offensive line this year. Did I? Oh, okay. Sala. Then I, I, you know what? I was yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure I was probably just thinking of Fale like uh, getting some snaps yeah. uh, in recently. Yeah, I mean uh, that that's my mistake then. But um, but yeah, no, I mean I think I, I do think it's an indictment um of their comfort with him given how many uh, rotational pieces they had in on the line. Yeah, so there's four players that didn't play. Roquan Smith um didn't play and he's nursing some things. So is Queen, by the way. Queen, you know, keeps keeps talking about his collarbone. He he got cleated in the collarbone by Tua on that last snap where Tua got injured as well. Um you know, it's, it's surprising that he did play in some ways, but uh, Ronald Darby did not play, and that was, you know, we think illness related. And Josh Johnson did not play, which is third quarterback related. There's no other place for Josh Johnson to to go in on the field. Humphrey, honestly, is one of the few players that can actually use the reps at this point in the season, probably live fire reps, uh, to get ready for whatever playoff time might be ahead of him. And we don't even want to think about it, but um, you, you know they. That one of the things about backup quarterbacks is the preseason is never quite long enough for them to get enough play to take them all the way through the season such that if you ever do need to call on them, they can still be effective. So there's still, you know, that, that live fire has had value to a player like Huntley, I think. But uh, but then the other one is Salah, and he, and he didn't see action. And, it, and the but big one on the defense was Pepe Williams not seeing action anywhere in the defensive backfield. Very surprising. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see where he um, ends up next season, Sala, and on the development curve. Very last question. I think we've addressed already, but also, do you think it was a horrid roster decision to elevate uh, elevate Bench Mason? Interesting. Elevate. I think he's being funny here. Ben Mason over Lucian when the secondary options were were sparse. Absolutely. Yes, it was an atrocity. It was a, a poor poor decision, um, and uh, you know. You could, it, you could re- very reasonably think that had uh, Lucian been up there taking some of the uh, uh, some of the snaps, uh, you know, Geno Stone might not have been out there when he got injured. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and and uh, it's a very real consequence. Luckily, it seems like in, uh, the injury wasn't too serious based on uh, based on what we've heard. Now, Lucian has had a chance to leave the Ravens in theory. I mean, he was cut. You know, on the street. Uh, in fact, I think the Ravens probably, since they resigned him so quickly, they probably had kind of a Daryl Worley 2022 understanding with him that he would be back, and they wanted to, you know, they wanted to make sure that he knew he was still loved here, and they're and they're, uh, you know, they, they're they're happy to have him again. Obviously, by resigning him, that's the way you you, you really make him believe that, even if it's just the practice squad. Th- this is something he's going to go into next year. He'll still have his full four years of the clock hasn't started running yet. He's had a great opportunity to learn and practice with the Ravens this year. And I'm very hopeful that, that he's going to be a guy uh, who, who uh, understands it. In talking to the guy, he's very smart, um, really understands things. And you can, you, can, you can be that, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything for your position. At the safety position, there are so many moving parts to that role. I think it is the perfect fit. For Jeremy Lucian, I think he's a much better safety than he's a corner, which is much more of a "I got to be better than you" position in order to to um, keep up with it. And and I'm not saying there's not thinking at corner. Of course there is. You know, of course there's zone coverage and whatnot concepts that come in a corner. But I I I really like 
in theory, what Lucien could be for this team. Yeah, I know. I listened to that podcast. I enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better um, as a person. And, uh, you know, I think he could uh, definitely have a role on this uh, on this team uh, going in next season. So I was excited when I saw we got him back. Um, and I, I just think it's a shame that he didn't get an opportunity um, to play today because he'd been on the practice squad for most of the season. So it's not like, you know, it, it's not like Dalvin Cook who just, you know, arrived here um and hasn't had any time with the team yeah did, did dalvin cook uh, this is this is from uh, at film study ravens who put in this to pounce on film study mail hashtag film study mailbag did dalvin cook just move ahead of josh gordon on the depth chart with yeah, josh maybe. gordon's bubble yeah. maybe i mean we'll have to see how he um we'll have to see how he plays but i don't you know i don't think he had a reputation for being a fumbler uh you know i think he has a reputation for giving you a little bit in the past game um i think i hope ideally you know now those guys will see a single snap um, in the postseason, um, but uh, but you know it's good to have options. What can I say? Yeah. All right, Slava, just a complete pleasure doing this. We we said we weren't going to go two hours today uh, after a game like that that was just a horrible mess. But this is more than that. We're talking about the you know the future of the team and what's going on. And um, and I, I I really appreciate having on, spending some time with us. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. I'm on Twitter at Slava Cooperstein. That's S-L-A-V-A-K-U-P-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. All right. If you're still listening at this point, I knew one of the really loyal listeners of the show. One thing we ask is do one of two things if you can. Either tell somebody about the show. You can do that in any medium at all, but ideally an an older person one-on-one that you can show how to directly play the the episode off filmstudybaltimore.com is a great way to get people involved and hopefully listening to, to, to the pod some. Um, the second thing you do is if you, if you want to write a 50 word, five-star review, we love for that to happen on Spotify. And, uh, uh, there's a lot of great reviews out there, but each time one is written, it helps the algorithm decide, you know, how people are directed to pods or given a, a palette of pods to choose from. So you're really helping us when you, when you do that. Slava, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.